Let's go. Excited to have today a Mr. No Name, a teacher, Mr. No Name, that's teaching in a local school in our area. And the goal is to talk about public schools, how are they doing with all the crime and sex ed and everything in between. Mr. No Name, how are you? Doing great. Excited to be here. How long have you been teaching? So I've been teaching a little over 10 years now. Um, I've taught a few different subjects, about four different schools, um, different grade levels, and it's, it's been a fun ride. What do you enjoy about being a teacher or don't enjoy? Um, the thing that I don't enjoy is that there's just too much of unnecessary like drama and too much um, teachers being involved in items that are not school related. Um, the things that I do enjoy is um, I feel like I'm pretty young at heart so I get along with a lot of the student body. Um, I think I have a fairly unique upbringing so I could relate to many students um, and they relate to me and I think I've built some strong relationships. With your relationships with them, do you feel like you're making or having an impact on the students' personal life and their future? Um, so when I worked at schools, they were middle, um, you know, like the middle of uh, income levels, like middle class and whatnot. Um, with those students, a lot of them have had a lot of influential people in their lives like they have goals they have ideas they see mom and dad going to college you know or mom and dad starting a business those parents could help him navigate life um, and I worked at a few of those schools and I think for the most part they come in and you know you're just a person where you come into these other districts where um, you have you know 60 70 80 percent free and reduced lunch and these kids are lost. Like, they don't know what it is to apply to a college. They don't know what a safe, like, home life looks like. They don't have a mom and a dad. You know, they're raised by a single parent. They don't necessarily have that influential person in that life always at home. They might ha have it somewhere else with, like, an uncle or a church or whatnot. But um, for many of them... Um, when, when they come to school, they're just going through the motions of life, and they don't have someone telling them, like, hey, if you don't like school, you should start doing this, or if you're really good at math and you don't get along with maybe other students and you're someone that keeps to himself, like, you should really look into, like, tech engineering or something like that. There's not, Those conversations aren't happening, and so a lot of times when we have certain classes and you know, students would be like, oh, I hate school, and I'll ask them why or whatnot. We'll have that conversation. I'm like, you know, you're so young. You have so much, uh, you know, so much life ahead of you. There's way more than just you going to school and being a contributing member to society. There's a lot you could do that you can enjoy, um, but a lot of them just don't know, um, not necessarily don't know. They haven't had anyone tell them or open their eyes to that, to those ideas. Do you feel like after you have these kind of conversations with them that they listen to your advice and you see, you see at least some of them follow through and you see you having an impact on their decisions? Um, that's truly hard to say because it's not like when a kid graduates and they go to college and they're like, hey, you know, I'm doing this and that. I don't really get that too much. I do get a ton of like invites to graduations at high schools or whatnot but as they leave like I truly don't know um so it's hard to say and I'm also not one of those people that want to come out here and be like oh I made an impact in this kid's life but at the same time like you know a few examples that I could give is when I left a school to for another school you know I have had students reach out to me like via email they're like hey you know thanks for this or that but Again, that's that's a handful out of, you know, 10 years of teaching. So who's to say? I, like, I can't give a definite answer on that. How did you even decide being a teacher? Because weren't you part of the corporate world more before becoming a teacher? 
So, yeah, so as a part of the corporate world, but the thing about corporate world is I'm not the type to, like, sit all day at a desk, and I was just really struggling with that. And then, um, you know, I was doing some coaching in Tacoma. Originally started off with just, like, AAU basketball, and then it kind of progressed, and I said to myself, well, you know, I could I could live a life and maybe not do what I wanted and then later on, like, regret it, or I can just kind of jump in and see if I like this, and if I don't, you know, 5, 10, 15 <clears throat> years down the road, I could always make a change. You know, I do have a business degree, so I could always move on from it, but I just didn't want to be in a situation further down my life looking back and regretting it. That's dope. After 10 years of experience with within uh, public education, because nowadays, having a kid, second one on the way, when public school comes up, right now it's almost looked down, not almost, but it's looked down upon if you even consider sending your kids to public school. From the inside, as you see, is it as bad as it sounds? Because when, you, when, you, when we hear of public schools, it sounds terrible, wild, violence, crime, sex education, and everything in between. Is it as bad as we hear it, or what do you see from being on the inside? I think a lot of it's like school-to-school basis. You know, I've worked at some really good schools, and I've worked at some really poor-ran schools. So um, I think just in general, if you have a strong home, like you have a mom, a dad, and they're good role models, it doesn't really matter that much, in my opinion, if you end up going to um, public school. Um the main thing is you, know, you don't want your kid to fall behind. So mm-hmm. as long as you're, you know, you have a strong home and you're teaching your kids, you know, whatever your values may be, you're teaching them how to read and write, um, I think it'd be just fine. Um, I think especially living in the Pacific Northwest, you are going to graduate and you're going to be around people with a lot of different backgrounds and ideas. So... To me, I don't really think it's a bad thing, especially for those who are maybe younger married couples and they're looking at more established couples and they're like, oh my goodness, you know, they're sending their kids to public, sorry, private school and I'm sending them to public, so am I a failing parent? I would say no. Um, I think you just have to be involved and like see what your kid's teaching and um, I don't don't think it's bad at all. Um, Obviously, if you are in a market for like a new house or whatnot and you're thinking about putting your kid in public schools, there are resources for you to look and see what are some good public schools around. And when I say good schools, um, some of the things you can look at is test scores. Um, You can compare pretty much any school in a state through going to like OSPI, and you can look at the school next to your house now and the school next to the house you might be buying, and you can look at those test scores. You can look at the demographics of the kids. You can look at the free and reduced lunch. You can look at the teacher's um, experience, like they have a bachelor's degree, do they have a a master's degree? But I think for me, like how you kind of figure out what a good school is, is scores, yes, but also to see like what the turnover rate is. If a school is good, teachers are going to want to stay. If it's bad, they're probably going to leave. So, you know, a lot of times you see these articles. I think last summer I read one about maybe Tequila School District, they had the highest turnover in the, in, in the entire state, and they had, like, one out of, like, four teachers trying to leave. That's not a good school district to be in. Where you look at, like, Puyallup, a lot of those teachers will work at Puyallup, and they'll stay there their entire life. Mm-hmm. So that, yeah, so turnover of the teachers would be the best sign to look for as far as, like, I guess, quality of the school? I, I mean, I still put that at test scores, but... I, I mean, it is a pretty high indicator. Just look at a company, you know, if a lot of people are always leaving, something's not going right there. And so um, I think it's a good indicator, but I don't know if that information is public always. Um, the reason why I brought that up is because I had read the article about the Aquila School District, and I was like, oh, they're doing so terrible. And they had, I think, the second worst scores in the entire state where they had, I think, like 12% of students were... Um, at grade level for reading and like 14% at math 
and you if you have a child at home that's high achieving um, and they go to school like that I mean the chances of them falling behind are significant I think um, so that those would be the things that I would look for as a dad how has COVID uh, has COVID affected the kids as they come back do you notice a significant difference in how kids behaved and studied and performed before COVID and after COVID? Is there a noticeable difference? Yes, I think that's like the big part of the union for the district I work for. You know, a lot of it's like, hey, these students haven't been at the school for a long time. This is why their test scores are low, so on and so forth. Um, But a lot of times, you know, we really have to consider students were in like fourth grade and then they went to middle school. COVID started in fourth, now they're in middle school in sixth. Or they were in seventh grade in middle school and now they're in high school. So it's a huge jump for them and coming back was a disaster. I mean, um, there were so many fights at the schools I worked at. Um, A few of the schools talked about potentially shutting down for a few weeks just to like get it under control. Um, it, it was an extremely rough start. I know some schools, they've had to have um, district employees come in to help out with behavior. So from what I know from the schools I worked at, it was a chaos coming back from COVID. And um, there's also those kids that came back with masks still. And I think today, I want to say at my particular school, we probably have maybe seven out of 35 teachers that wear masks still. We have maybe, if I'm going to guesstimate, maybe 175 students still wear masks. Um, So there is still some fear in many students and teachers of COVID, even with the information we have now. Um, So I think COVID has had more of a psychological effect on many um, and behavioral. Um, But I think it's unfair to judge those test scores just yet. I would as a dad, I'll probably wait maybe a few years. Um, a lot of students will show a lot of growth sometimes in even a year's time. So, um, if, yeah. Why, why do you think the return was so chaotic? Is it because kids were not in class setting for two years and now they need to get used to be, I guess, behaving? Or why, why the chaos? I think it's just routine. Um, a lot of students don't have a good structure. Um, at home or even I guess you can kind of even think of like your own children if you just kind of let them do what they want for a few days it's going to take you some time to really bring them back or um, like for example I limit my kids with screen time and so if I say hey you know you can have an hour in the morning hour at night time you know for a whole week and then the next week I take it away from them there's going to be a lot of pushback they might misbehave and stuff like that but um, to me, it's just structure was probably the biggest um, uh, indicator here of, like, students coming back and just being wild. How's the violence at school even after sometime after coming back after COVID? Because I feel like I'm hearing like a story after story of drugs and violence and fights and guns at schools. Is that a problem the teachers talk about and notice, or is there more of a catchy headlines? Well, some of the problems with, like, gun vi- I guess we can call it gun violence, but students that have brought guns to school, um, a lot of times admin will keep that hush-hush. Um, I know the schools I've worked at, students have brought knives to school and th- have threatened to, like, harm a teacher. Um, I know some of the local high schools here, because I'll check the the Auburn blotter, the Federal blotter, the Camp blotter, police. Um, and you can see, like, there are consistently weapons being brought to our schools, but they're also not going out and, like, telling you. Um, so if a kid brought a gun to school and someone told them the kid and a police officer got that ticket from them, um, they wouldn't necessarily wouldn't go and tell you. But if they had to do a lockdown of some sort, then yes, you would probably, if your child attends this school, they might get an email of some sort. But I know that locally last year, I think it was around um, eight guns that were brought into school district or, you know, this school district in the city of Federal Way. Um, Kent had some similar, similar numbers. 
Um, you know, luckily, no one's been shot, but I think they just recently had one in Seattle where a kid did bring a gun and, you know, he did take another kid's life. So, um, to me, that's a problem. Like, growing up, when I went to high school, no one ever brought a gun. And so now if you have five high schools and eight, nine guns brought, that means that almost every high school's bringing almost two guns a year. And you don't know what the kid's going through. Um, and so that's obviously not a safe situation for anyone in that building. And that's two guns a year that got found out about. And I'm sure there's other times that nobody found out about a kid bringing a gun to school. What about drugs and drug use in school? Does that come up? So drug use, um, I know that if it's something like, let's say, marijuana, they'll suspend the kid, and that's kind of that's going to be it. Like, they're not going to notify police or anything like that. Um, I mean, under, is it 18 or 21 at this to uh, have cannabis on you? I think it's maybe 20, 19. I don't even know. I think 21. Yeah, I think it might be 21 because I know they raised the cigarettes, but... They'll suspend the kid, but they're also not going to send an email home. I've been at schools where, you know, a kid had enough um, cannabis to probably give a joint to half the school. So if you're thinking of, like, numbers-wise, probably enough for, like, two, 300 kids. Like, they bring bags of it. And I know for a fact, like, they they don't arrest them. Like, they, I mean, they'll call the cops, but... They won't get arrested. They'll get suspended for a few days. So it's like a slap on the wrist where I think when I went to middle school, if I had, you know, let's say some alcohol or brought cannabis with me, I feel like I would have been suspended for weeks on weeks, maybe a month. Who knows? Wouldn't it be helpful for parents to know that, hey, in my kid's school, this many kids brought a gun or brought drugs. So that way I can make an informed decision of like, hey, maybe this is becoming a pattern and I maybe switch schools or go to private school route but if parents are not informed I guess what's the reason for them to keeping you more of a hush-hush um I mean I'm assuming I think there's probably a lot of reasons once they don't want the community to know um I mean who out there that you know that has bad things happening in their life and they go and air it out. Um, I do believe that, you know, they obviously tell the parent when this happens because they do get suspended, but it's not always, teachers don't always know the things students are doing um, because kids do have, you know, they are protected by law when it comes to their privacy as well. So if a kid brought, you know, a firearm or, um, had drugs or you know another example is you know I've known students that have been pregnant at school we were also not allowed to tell someone else because we were told like hey these students have you know they're also protected they're also you know humans and you cannot just go spill their beans just because they attend this school they have laws that protect that but if they're underage aren't they still under full parents or guardians responsibility and the parent and guardian should know all the details about them well if they get suspended for something that's like a you know we'd consider a crime like bringing cannabis to school yes but you know like when i talk to you when i just mentioned like for example abortion i don't think they need to let parents know and i think in this state um if i remember correctly and you guys can look this up there's a training that King County uses, and this is all King County. I'm talking Bellevue, Kent, Renton, Federal It's a flash training, and it teaches um, students a lot of the, like, the sex health ed stuff. And I'm pretty sure in the training video it says that, like, in our state, Washington State, that any kid at any age can have an abortion. Now, I don't know what the cutoff age is where the school has to notify a parent but I'm pretty sure that once they get into, like, middle school, um, they don't have to notify the parent. Dang. That's pretty, I guess, intense for a, for a kid, even in middle school, to get an abortion and a parent having, having no, no idea about it. What do you think led to it? Is it more of laws, school districts themselves, 
or is it more of a teacher's discretion with all these things? Like where, because I'm sure if it was up to parents and their guardians, they would want to know all the information possible. So, so where does the enforcement or the push comes from to stop teachers and administrators from informing the parents and guardians what their kids are up to? Yeah, it's a weird one. I, I'm assuming there's some sort of legislation or some law that was passed at some point. Um, and also, like I said, students at a certain age have a lot of privacy laws that protect them. So I think that even if you're a certain age, like, I mean, I, don't, uh, I think if you're a teenager and you go see a doctor and let's say like you had intercourse or something like that, you don't want your parent to know, um, you know, you there are times where the doctors will ask a parent to step out to like ask them questions or whatnot. And I think some of those uh, things get brought up and I do think that they don't have um, any, let's say like laws preventing them from keeping that information private. And I almost want to say like, if you're 13 and you go to a doctor and a lot of times when you're a teenager, your mom doesn't sit there while you get your physical or whatnot, because that would be embarrassing doctors could ask you certain question and they don't have to whatever however you answer they are not legally required to tell that parent or guardian got it do you see uh, we brought up drugs a little bit and drug use do you see drug use more after 10 years do you see it's more prevalent and kids start using you maybe even a younger age uh, in uh, younger grades with the drug use because also, judging from headlines at all, it seems like there's arrests and raids of schools in middle schools with drug sales and drug usage. Is that a thing, or is it more exaggerated? That's hard to say, because when I went to high school, for example, I know that we had at least three random days where dogs from the city, like sheriff's office or police department, come in and they would like sniff our lockers and they had like locked the school down for an hour and then sometimes you'd hear on the intercom like hey brian jenkins you know come into the office you're like "Ooh," um you know we were never like privy to that information so it's hard to say but um i think just drug use in general um seems like it's gone up and i think there's even been videos of local high school kids that are straight up smoking you know fentanyl in the bathrooms and you know this is no secret this was like on cairo news so, you know, and the messed up thing about that is when they're recording this kid smoking, there's, you know, four or five other kids that are like giggling around this kid recording this kid smoking, you know, fentanyl. And it's like the norm. Uh, it also seems like students are more likely to um, want like more clout and more, you know, Instagram followers or whatever and not help a kid be like, hey, you shouldn't be doing that where, you know, now they're, like, recording and giggling and, you know, posting it, trying to get more followers, more likes and whatnot. And I think that's, like, a huge con contributor to this huge mess because we're – that goes with everything, like fights. They don't stop fights. Everyone just gets their phone out, and they want to record it because they want to post it. Um, you know, they want to say something funny in it, and it's just, you know, it's not, it's not good. Like, no one benefits from it. And it's just hurting our society um, in general. On a topic of sexual education, that's been a big topic, especially in the conservative communities. Is the stuff, especially the explicit stuff, the things the, that we see in the news, how prevalent is it in public school and how, how required is it? Because I've seen like. The, the pictures and the books that apparently school districts require is uh, all across the board or is each teacher uses his own judgment on what he wants to teach and how he or she wants to present uh, so on the, uh, these sexual topics and yeah I guess start there so from what I've seen um, it's not necessarily like something I teach per se and I haven't seen some of these books that I see on Sometimes people post on, you know, like Facebook or whatnot, and they'll show like, you know, female and male genitalia for like second graders. I personally haven't seen personally haven't seen any curriculum for that. 
Um, I know a lot of people were worked up about, I think there was one about kindergarten and some of the conservatives were talking about how it's teaching kindergartners to like pleasure themselves, which after I kind of looked into it briefly, it wasn't anything like that at all. It was more of um, teaching a kindergartner, like what's a safe touch? Because a kindergartner may not know if an adult comes up and touches them inappropriately. They may think it's okay. So I think at least the kindergarten part from what I've actually seen that was like in a curriculum, I don't think it was as bad as people have made it out to to be. But I've also um, seen a ton of books and whatnot that people have posted, and I've never personally seen those at school. So I don't know what that really looks like. Um, those might be just books that may have been presented through all like the um, curriculum process, but I don't actually know exactly what... Um, what kind of books they actually see. So um, if you do have a kid that goes to, you know, elementary, middle, or high school, generally speaking, most school districts will give you, you know, 30 to 40-day notice, and you can opt out of that. You can also ask that school. You can just stop by the school. You can email your teacher say, hey, can I look, and, can I look at the material? Um, I don't see why any teacher would not let you see it. If they don't, that's a bigger red flag in my opinion. But as a teacher, if a parent emails me or calls me and says, hey, um, you know, you are doing this unit next. Can I see what the material looks like? I'd have zero qualms with scanning it, emailing them, you know, a link, whatever that may be. So um, I think for a lot of it is parents should um, just reach out to their teacher if they, you know, if you're older and you don't know how to use an email or whatnot, you can stop by the school and say, hey, I want to see it. Um, you can call your teacher, leave them a voicemail. Um, but I think you'll have a better idea what they're actually doing instead of like seeing something on, um, you know, social media and having this huge, out huge outrage that this and that is happening instead of actually seeing the material yourself. So the stuff... Like the lips of TikTok, of the purple pink hair teachers that talk about how they secretly want to teach the kids who knows why is that more of an exception and not a rule for teachers? Um, I mean, there could totally be five, six of those teachers per school, maybe two or three, I don't know. Um, because teachers don't go into other teachers' classroom while they're, you know, doing their instruction. You do see, if you drive by any high school, essentially, that's in your area, all you have to do is, like, glance at the high school as you're driving by and see who has, you know, the trans flag, the, the pride flag, um, all those flags. And if you know that your kid is in that class, this is where you might have that conversation with your own child, like, hey, you know, third floor, second classroom, I see, the, you know, there's 18 flags or whatever that may be. Like, what are they learning in there? You, you are also, um, I believe, um, you have the ability to go into a kid's classroom anytime you want. You can't just, like, show up to school in the morning and be like, hey, I'm coming in. Mm -hmm. But I do believe that if you had emailed a school or asked, like, a day or two in advance, there are rules where it lets you come in. So if you're somebody that's like, hey, I might want to put my kids in private school as opposed to public schools because of sex education. And once that sex education starts, whichever grade level your kid's in, ask to come in and, like, be be your own judge, you know, be a proponent for your own kid instead of listening to I mean, we have a lot of loud voices in our community, and those voices that we exemplify sometimes don't necessarily share the truth um, because we are a society of, like, outrage um, so I think the best way to handle that is either have your child opt out, but then at the same time, I think that a lot of the Ukrainian community, what they never consider is, like, my parents never talked to me about, like, anything sexual, right? So, like, I learned from, like, my homies telling me, you know, at church, like, parking lot, like, hey, this happened. You're like, what? You know? Um, so I think if parents are really, 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 really want to be, like, a part of their kid's life parents are going to have to have that uncomfortable conversation with their child. So if, you know, you're not ready for that, um, you should probably, you know, do a little bit of research, you know, read a book, see how you can talk to your kid about that. 
because you can opt out your kid from any sexual educations generally in public schools. But if you do that, you should probably have that conversation by yourself, and that might be an uncomfortable thing because for most of the listeners here, I'm assuming your parents never had that conversation with you. You brought up, uh, you brought up LGBT flags and all those things in school. Is that a thing between teachers, students? Because I've heard the where schools, even like local school districts, would bring in outside voices and they would have whole presentations for kids on 30 different LGBTQI plus flags and have the whole training and lessons of each flag and what it means and how it applies to you. Does that happen or is also one of those uh, exaggerated things? So at my school, we've had um, slideshows, PowerPoints, however, presentations that were sent to teachers to present to students. Um, now, I know probably a handful, maybe five, six teachers, we just, a lot of them just ignore it. We don't even touch it. We kind of move on. Um, sometimes we'll, you know, because sometimes those teachers know who those teachers are. We'll have a conversation like with one another, be like, what the heck is this? But the schools that I've been to, and that's been about four, actually five schools um, that I've been to, I have never seen them actually bring an outside voice in to talk about, you know, anything LGBTQ. Generally, for the most part, it happens um, during Pride Month, which is in uh, June. And so during those months, there are also a few teachers that will bring in like rainbow flags or the trans flags, which there are a bunch of different colors on them. And they'll just hand them out to students. Now, I don't know if they're buying these flags like with their own money. I don't know if those are government provided. Um, But you'll see the kids, you know, wear even like the big flag, not the LGBT, the rainbow one, but there's another one that has like a bunch of the lighter colors. I think it's the trans one. Um, They'll kind of put it over them kind of like a cape. Um, So I've seen that. Um, But usually that does happen during like Pride Month. And I think a lot of it is because teachers bring that in and then these students are like, oh, man, these colors are cool or this and that. And it's a lot easier to have them jump on that agenda. Yeah, what happens for teachers that don't teach this kind of stuff? Is uh, are you do you get asked like, hey, why didn't you teach this? You're required to do this. Or if you other teachers ignore it, it never comes up. Um, I mean, you can't have admin in your room 100% of the time. Um, I mean, I know, like, I've skipped it a bunch of times, and no one's ever, like, talked to me about it. So I don't know if there is some sort of, like, a checkoff that admin has or if it's coming down, like, from the districts, from the district itself, and the admin is really concerned who's showing it, who's not. I don't really know what the the behind-the-scenes look like. So I think if you skipped it or you even you went over it twice instead of once, I don't think anyone would know any way. It's just kind of like, hey, you should you should show this, but it's not necessarily a request. There's no grade attached to it. There's not like a state standard that says like, hey, you need to show this LGBT. It's not a grade for it, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. Speaking of state standard, overall – with education and level of education in public school, when you look at, you mentioned before, the rating of schools and grades and quality of education that students are getting, do you see the level of education declining? Because it seems like even in our local school districts, I guess more like the bigger cities, the federal way, Kent, Auburn, the bigger schools, it seems like the state standard tests the passing level is very low for even english math science it's around 30 percent for all three categories that seems like that's ridiculously low if only one-third of the kids is in the passing level of normal school topics so is that i guess so is that more on the schools the teachers 
the kids themselves, why are the scores so low? So I think, you know, that's another thing that you can kind of look at some data and make that conclusion uh, just kind of for yourself. And, and what I'm saying with that is, let's say, you know, we we talked about Kent, Auburn, Federal Those three districts, they're extremely diverse with, like, you know, Ukrainian kids coming in, immigrant kids coming in. Um, you, there's a lot of autistic kids. So there's a huge um, – there's a lot of sped ed kid, sped kids. Sped ed. Um, so when you look at all of those variables, um, you could see why those numbers have gone down. So if a school, for example – Let's go back 15 years ago, and maybe there is, you know, 6 million less immigrants. These are students who are just learning English. These are students who um, might be learning reading, right? So we don't know what grade levels they're at. So it's kind of hard to gauge based on that. Um, so if you look at the data and you have, you know, half your school is Hispanic and English is their, is their second um, language spoken at home, yeah, they're going to score lower. Um, as they get older, hopefully those scores will go up. But the more influx of students that we get that aren't English speaking or coming from other countries, can't read and stuff. So those are always going to bring the scores down. So um, when you go into OSPI, you can look at the demographics. You can see how many students, you know, are only English speaking. You can see how many students are, you know, how many languages they speak at home. So those numbers, I mean, they're not necessarily like 100% accurate, um, but they're also a decent indicator of what's happening in the school as well. So you kind of, you know, it's just like it's data, you know, you can fudge it either way. Do, do you think that these scores have, are part of the reason why public, and not public, private schools seem like they've been exploding uh, lately and parents are very hesitant of sending their kids to public school. Are the scores and the quality of education and kind of what we mentioned before with crime, drugs, LGBT, and then test scores on top of that, is uh, could that be part of the reason why more and more parents are hesitant of sending their kids to public school? It could be, but, I mean, some private schools are just schools to babysit your kid, and... Private schools' numbers are also kind of, you know, like I said, you know, if you took any kind of, like, statistics or data, you can fudge numbers your way. But, you know, like a private school that I know of, they have close to 90% of passing reading and writing. Well, you look at that, you're like, oh, my gosh, that's such a good school. But then you look at their demographics, and you're like, okay, these kids had to test into that public school. Sorry, private school. So, like, if you're sending your kid to a private school and they're not being tested in, most likely there's taking everybody. So a lot of these private schools, they're able to fudge their numbers because they're like, okay, we're going to test these kids in. If a kid's, you know, two grade levels behind and we have, you know, three spots open and, you know, there's a kid two grade levels behind, the other four are at grade level, they're going to take the other ones that are eight grade level. It's going to make their numbers look better. So, um, again, that also comes down to like numbers. And if you're going to if most likely, if you're going to private school, you have a mom and a dad. So that alone will help with your um, reading and writing scores because statistically, you know, kids who have both parents do better at school. Can, uh, can all of these things be, in a way, attributed to the fact of family dynamics the, again, going back to the the crime, the drugs, the education, trouble in school, would the root problem of all of this be family dynamics, or how much uh, do family dynamics have an effect on a kid's education and his behavior? I mean, I personally think it has a huge amount, like most of it most likely, because when you know, students, let's say they read a book and they have a book report and the kid's like, hey, you know, reading's not celebrated or, you know, my, my dad blasts music all night. You know, my mom's drunk. I have to take care of my three kids. You know, my parents, my mom works, my dad works. So, yeah, you know, that's going to have a huge impact of what that kid's school life looks like. So um, I would say... You know, family dynamics is probably the biggest indicator 
Um, but I also think a lot of parents who raise their kids, especially in our community, they're like, okay, well, I don't want my kid to maybe talk back to me. I don't want my kid to, you know, use inappropriate language. I don't want my kid to, you know, they're too young for Snapchat or Instagram. And they go to these private schools and they really come down on, like, using your phone. Um, they could even get you in trouble in, pri in private schools. Like, if you said something on the Internet or in public schools, that could take so long. And there's a lot of bullying that happens, you know, on social media, um, public schools. If, if my kid was to cuss, they might call me. But if I hear 30 cuss words in my classroom throughout the day, I'm not calling any of those parents because I have way too many students. Um, that is not a battle I'm willing to fight, and I'm just going to move on from it. And so these kids come home, and if they're from a good home and they go to school where there's a lot of issues and they come home, they start talking back to mom and dad. They start using inappropriate language. Their test scores may go down. They might start failing a class. So, yeah, parents get concerned with that. And they were like, hey, we're going to pull you out of this environment and put you into another one where we think you'll, you know, excel and do much better than you're doing at this public school. Got it. You know, what about another concern that comes up is the public education is teaching kids not to have the respect or the honor for the nation of United States, because mm -hmm. I remember even recently I was talking to one of my younger nieces, and it was Columbus Day, and I was like, oh, Columbus Day, what, what is that about? And mm -hmm. she's like, oh, it's the day we remember that when the Columbus came and uh, massacred the Native Indians. That, yeah, so we kind of we do in a remembrance of Native Indians, and I'm like, well, I remember Columbus Day being very different from when I was in school, do you see after 10 years being in public school how the atmosphere in public school changed from, and the, view, the views are being taught towards the honor and respect for the country? So I'd say probably the last ooh, six, seven years, I'd probably say less than five students stand for the flag. Um, I've had classrooms in the past that so less than five students, uh, pretty much nobody stands up. Pretty much nobody. Um, I would say probably at least two of the classrooms I had, they didn't even, like, give me an American flag. <laughs> I don't think it's necessarily, like, on purpose. They're not, like, with this agenda. Either they got lost at some point because the walls get clean in the summertime, misplaced. Or, I mean, maybe, I don't know, I never really gave it that much thought. But kids, you know, they don't get in trouble for not standing for it. Um and I think there is a lot of negative, almost I almost kind of want to call it propaganda because, you know, like for example, America takes 50% of the world's immigrants. America is still the number one destination for immigrants around the world. Um, yet, in our schools, when we write essays and whatnot, sometimes teachers, and I will provide quotes from from you know, political leaders from um, whoever, I mean, it could be anybody. It could be like Kanye West, right? They'll provide quotes of something they said at some point in their life, which was negative, and they kind of almost like push this agenda of like, hey, you know, this country is no good for, you know, this reason because look what this elected leader said, right? Mm -hmm. Look what this person, look what this person called that person, but... I think in life in general, like my general rule of thumb is like if I have a friend and, you know, he said a hundred nice things to me or like we've had a hundred cool experiences, we have one bad one. Um, to me, like that one bad mistake, like to me, at the end of the day, it doesn't really mean much. Like that's just, you know, one time they were having a bad day, something slipped, whatever it may be. But um, I think we are so focused on like canceling people and they will literally say oh i'm gonna cancel this kid or that kid this kid said that i'm gonna cancel they usually actually use that terminology terminology where to me it's insane like if somebody said something that i completely did not agree with like i may not talk to that person as much but like at the end of the day like they're they're human and you know we live in a country of free speech but 
it, it has been out of control. I think, like, students, they're not teaching them, like, any type of patriotism. Um, and the fact that kids know about, like, canceling people is kind of wild to me. That's super interesting about even writing essays and starting off or the basis of or the like negative quotes about the country because I think I've heard it before where they would do that to like prisoners of war where they would like while having them in jail they would say hey I know you don't believe this stuff but if you were to write five negative reasons about your country what would they be so they even in prison they would make them write even you could say fake essays about negatively what what are the negative things about your country but it would have a person on the person psychologically because once you kind of like thinking these reasons through you you start to believe in yes so let's say a year two years later you come back to your country the stuff that you thought about for the essay is still in the back of your mind you're like yeah my country's cool but we have these serious problems that we need to take care of and then you you view your country in a lot more negative way but it's interesting that like even in schools they have those essays being written with like a negative connotation as a starting point. What about race stuff? That's been a big topic lately. Do you see that in schools as well, where it's like black, white, brown, whatever color you are, and your identity is based off of that, and that's being preached and taught and reminded over and over again? Or is is race not a big topic in public schools as far as you see? So I think, like, after George Floyd, there was a huge, like, Black Lives Matter push uh, to a point where, like, schools, districts were handing out, like, Black Lives Matter uh, shirts and whatnot. But I think as time went by, I think specifically this year, it's really gone down. And I think some of it might be the fact that there might have been, I don't know, maybe parent outrage, like, hey, we may believe that, you know, Black Lives Matter, but... We also don't believe in their organization, all the T-shirts they're selling. We don't want to financially support them. And, you know, when especially like when they released their um, financials and whatnot, they had raised so many millions of dollars but hadn't put one kid through college. And I think, um, I don't know this because I'm not, you know, like a district employer or whatnot, but I think there might have been some pushback because for a while it's been almost, you know, um, weekly, monthly, like, hey, get this shirt or hey put this banner up and I'd say this year I mean it's been only what, like four months of school or whatnot I haven't seen any and I think it's just because maybe the negative exposure that the organization itself got um, I do still hear a lot like oh you're white you don't know or there's even like a lot of jokes kids will like you know even if a black kid talk it's not only like white people kids black kids will talk and white kids be like oh you're black sit down shut up but it's not like a lot of it is that they're friends so I think a lot of it they mock as well but I think there's also that number of kids let's say like you have a class of like 40 and you have like 20 of those students that might hear that they'd be like oh my god that is the most racist thing i've heard or this kid's told this kid to shut up because they're white you know but you know they might be friends and so it creates it create that's create a division like they don't you know when they reference to a person as you know their race and not by their name or what they've accomplished i think it's you it's not it's not good for their development it's not good for society but you know it is happening um at at our schools today if so lately it's been it has been a big move for private schools and then lately for home schools why do you think parents are so hesitant of sending their kids to public school Again, I mean, I think a lot of it comes down with a lot of the sex ed stuff that, you know, they've seen on Facebook with, like, the outrage and stuff. Um, And again, which I think some of it's warranted, some of it's not. But for all those parents is if you don't want your kid learning anything about sex, like, you just have to be ready to teach that yourself. Um, I think it's also been um, a big push because of, you know, the violence, the drugs we talked about. 
but there's also a huge number of uh, parents that do keep their kids in public schools. Um, you know, I think sending your kid to a private school, I mean, it's a privilege. It's not, it's not cheap. Um, you know, I don't know the rates for every single school in, you know, in the county, but, you know, most schools probably going to run you, you know, 10 to 15 grand per kid. And, you know, that's not pocket change. You know, that's a lot of money for some, especially some of these younger couples starting out. So, um, you know, I don't know what those numbers look like, but if you take all of, all of those considerations, a lot of parents probably do want to put their kids in, in public schools. For private schools for, for the parents that can't afford public or school, uh, private school or are not able to do private uh, homeschool what can they do from their end to prepare their kids better for for their for their kids to do better in a public school for, even though it seems like they're they're going to be surrounded by more troubled kids than maybe before what can they do to prepare their kids better for public education? Um, well, if it's like a stay-at-home mom or stay-at-home dad, um, they could obviously always check in on their kid at school. They can just be in contact with their teacher all the time. Um, they could just, just kind of write them a little bit and say, hey, man, you need to get this done or, you know, you can't have this privilege or that. So um, I personally don't think, like, public school is – as terrible as some of the as some in the community would say, um, a lot of it comes from home. So if you teach your kids like good values and whatnot at home, at home hopefully they'll bring that to your public schools. So um, I mean, I have lots of friends that have both public and private school, and their kids hang out with my kids, and it's not like I'm seeing a huge difference. Like, oh my God, look at this kid; he's saying all these bad words and. You know, he doesn't know why there's 50 stars on a flag or whatnot. I'm not seeing that. Um, so, I mean, what it comes down to is just how involved you are with, you know, your child. So, again, going back, the, the root of all of this stuff, the, the success and failure, it just goes back to your family life and how your how the home life for the kid is? Yeah, I think, you know, what your child sees at home and like you know how, how you treat your wife how you treat your husband you know how I mean are you yourself reading are you like busting your kid and be like hey you have to read all the time while you're on you know Viber and looking at videos the whole day right that's not you know that's not a good example so um, you know you have to set time for that kid to encourage them to do something um, and if a kid is growing up and they're developing and you get them into like music and sports they're more likely when they go to a public school they're going to have higher standards um, to play in those sports so for example if a kid's like failing a class or gonna fight or talking back to a teacher he's sitting out a game or she's sitting on a game and now you know they're not playing a sport they're hurting the entire team and I think things like that for especially a developing child I'm talking you know, third grade through even like fourth grade through like high school, right? There's just so much growth there. You get them into those sports and to those programs, they won't have time for a lot of like that BS. I mean, a lot of times if a kid's playing sports, like your parent has to be involved. They have to go pick him up. They have to drive, drop him off. They have to know a schedule. So I think being involved with, with your kid and keeping him busy, um, regardless of what public school you put in, put them in, um, gives you, you know, a higher rate of success. But if family can't afford private school, does that set up their kid even for more success? Because if the kid gets tested into a private school and the kid is surrounded by the other kids that have the mom and the dad and the parents are involved and they're picking them up and driving them to private school and paying for them, and if your kid is surrounded by those kids or a lot higher percentage of the kids that are doing better in life, then does not set up your set up your kid to be surrounded more of the kids kind of like aspiring to those kids as well that are succeeding rather than the kid being in public school. So if you can afford that, the public the private school would still be a better option to set up your kid for future success, right? Yes, statistically, probably yes, but I mean, keep in mind, like, 
private schools are not perfect either. I mean, I've known, you know, like growing up, we had a friend and, um, you know, she went to private school and <laughs> as she got older, you know, she got into like exotic dancing and stuff like that. And, you know, she had a lot of, you know, we all went to public schools, but we knew her. So it's like, just because you go to a public school, sorry, a private school doesn't automatically mean like you're going to grow up to be this well-adjusted person. And when I say like when you go to a public or a private school, when I'm talking about success, I'm just talking about being like a contributing member to society. Like I'm not saying you're going to go be a doctor or a lawyer. Like at the end of the day, if you, whatever your job may be, what you're doing, whatever money you're making, if you're contributing to society, you're, you know, you're, you're living a life, you're not you know, breaking laws, you're not stealing, you're not doing that. To me, that's a contributing member to society. Like, sure, we would all, whatever job we do, whatever that may be, the business, the career we might have, all of us want to make more money. Like, people would be like, oh, it's not, a, like, at the end of the day, everyone wants to make money. So when I say success, I'm not necessarily talking about, like, a dollar amount if you go to, like, a public or a private school. I'm just talking about your chances of being more of a contributing member of our society. Mm-hmm. Switching the topic a little bit from kids to teachers, if somebody is considering becoming a teacher, after 10 years, would you, uh, 10 years of experience, would you recommend somebody pursuing being a teacher or would you recommend them to pursue something else? What are, what are the hardest parts of being a teacher? Um, I think anyone that has like two, three, four kids, you know, more than one, you know, you spend those summers with those kids and sometimes they just drain you like to a point where you're like, oh my goodness, you just, I I can't even go on longer. But um, with teaching, I think if you come into teaching and you have this idea that you're going to help every single kid, you know, um, Every kid that leaves your class is going to be in, you know, enriched, enlightened, or whatnot. I think it's just going to burn you out. Like, there's no way you can call every kid's parent. There's no way. It's just almost impossible. So, I think like coming in, and also depending on what school you you go to, what district, what grade level you teach. Um, for me, you know, you know, one of the things I try to do is just I just try to be like a good example for them, and 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 the one thing that. I will never do to them is I'll always tell them the truth. Like, for example, I know in health at some point there's going to be a, a lesson about, like, men being able to have kids. And, that and you know, I, I might get in trouble for it. Who knows? But, the, I mean, that's not that, that's a hill I'm willing to die for. Like, I'm not going to be like men can have kids, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's complete. It's, it's, it's unscientific. So, um, I mean, the only advice I would give, like, after 10 years is, just have a plan. Like, if you know it's not working out for you, it's a lot. E- it's very easy to get burned out. You should just leave. Um, you should maybe teach something else. And I think the cool thing about if you do get into teaching and it doesn't work out for you, there's plenty of things that you can do with your degree. Um, lots of corporations out here they will hire many teachers to do things like training, do things like help hiring. Um, so, you know, I. It just depends, like, what your goal is. For me personally, um, I enjoy having my summers off. Um, So to me, when I do get a little burnt out sometimes or I have to do a little more work at home, I always think to myself, hey, you know, in, you know, four or five months, I'm going to get those, you know, 10 weeks off. And those days are important with me because those are the days that I could spend the most with my children um, where I could do you know, man stuff with them. I feel um, like you're on the lake like every other day. So, and, and you know, for me, like, you know, what's, there's like a saying that says like you only have, you know, 14 or 15 summers with your kids before they're out. Dang. And so, you know, having kids, if you, like right now, if your kids are teenagers, you know, 12, 11, you realist, realistically have like three, four summers left with them. Like when kids are going to be 18, they're going to have their group of friends. They're going to want to hang out with them and that might be hard for you. But, um, you know, a successful parent is a parent whose kids will want to come back and, like, whether it's kicking with them, you know, travel with them, whatever that may be, just spending time with them. I think that's going to be, like, the ultimate um, – uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The ultimate success story is, like, once your kid gets older, like, do they want to come back? 
And I think for you, like as a listener, you can always kind of think that to yourself right now. Like whatever age you may be, you may be 19, you might be 25, you may be 30. You can think to yourself like, hey, when I have some time, do I want to go hang out with mom and dad? Like, do I want to do that? And, you know, I, I think it'll help you realize like, yeah, my parents were super cool with me and did, you know, the things, you know, I wanted to and, you know, they were there for me and, um, or you might be like, yeah, you know what, I don't always want to go hang out with them because maybe, you know, in the old traditional conservative parents, you do something wrong, your daddy will beat you, you know, so he might not want to go back. So I, I think as the new dads in our community growing up, like you see a lot more involvement. When I think of my upbringing, my dad wasn't a part of my life as much as I am a part of my kid's life. So I, I think it's like a shift. And I think that's one of, for me, one of the best benefits of teaching is having that um, w- with my own kids. And I think, you know, hopefully it'll pay dividends. But at the same time, um, things like social media and phones and stuff, that worries me for my kids' future. Because who knows, you know, like all that stuff causes so many negative psychological effects they having uh, ten, uh, 10 weeks off and pay 10 weeks off sounds like a, a great benefit are there any reward or there's another word I'm looking for the working with kids and seeing success stories of having that you had even a partial impact on a kid's life does that make it semi worthwhile, or do you kind of you, how you mentioned at the beginning, you don't really see that that you specifically had some big impact, or do you still notice that like, hey, I know I had some sort of impact on this kid, and you draw some sort of fulfillment from that, like, hey, this is worth it. Like I'm doing this, and this kid is a little bit better. He's making a little bit better decisions because of my involvement in his life. Or do you not see that enough to have that as a source of motivation to keep going? I do have that part, but at the same time, I know usually a kid has five, six other teachers, mm-hmm. so I can't always, like, attribute that to myself. I'm not like, haha, yeah. I got this kid, you know? I, I don't know, but the thing that I do see, uh, um, I've seen quite a bit is, you know, every year I'll have five, six invites to, like, graduations, and I'll go and I'll sit through, you know, students, you know, their last day as a senior, and, and often I'll see some kids graduate, you know, and I'm like, man, I had this kid two years ago, and it's so cool seeing it, but I'm not, I'm not there to like take credit. I'm, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm hoping I was a small part of it, but I don't know. Like, and I would never go ask a kid either. Yeah. Like, hey, did I? Guess what? I saw you. you know, that's not that's not who I am. But you 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 do see some of those students that you're like, man, I've had so many conversations with them, but at the same time, like, that could have been his other four or five teachers as well. So I don't know. Um, but you know, I think. I don't know what other teachers' um, invites look like. Not mm-hmm. like we post them. Hey, yeah, yeah. let's have an invite. You know, I don't know. So, you know, I'd like to think so, but there's not, like, hard evidence that I could be like, hey, you know, this kid graduated because of me. I, I, I don't have that. And the last, let's say, for somebody that would consider getting into teaching as a career, I know it's yeah, public information and one can look it up. But as a starting salary, let's say you graduate, you get a full-time teaching position. Mm-hmm. For example, Federal School District, what's the starting pay? I know they just got, I think, like 7 8% or even is a 10% raise uh, district-wide. Um, so as a start, I guess, is there a job that you go into and you super sac- sacrifice a lot financially? Or is it still a semi-good paying job that you're like, hey, this is steady, you get steady pay, benefits, it's a government job, plus on top of all of that, you get all the holidays and summer off, paid off, so you compromise mm-hmm. on the pay? Or is the pay still pretty competitive for a bachelor's, master's degrees if you were to start corporate letter in any other company? Yeah. So I think, like, um, when I started in corporate, um, I mean, when I start, I, I made, I think, 12 grand more per year as I got into teaching than I did at corporate my first year. So, for example, if you're a first-year teacher, let's say, at, like, Federal Way, and you have your bachelor's, you're starting out at, like, 67 grand. And if you have your master's, you're starting at 80 grand a year. So if you look at like Indeed and stuff like that and your first year out of accounting or nursing, those are probably going to be very similar. 
Um, so it just kind of depends. There but, you, but you don't get 10 weeks off that's paid and all the holidays and everything. Yeah, and yeah, I mean, there are, there are benefits, correct? Like, I, we don't pay for the most basic, like, health insurance. We don't pay for that at all. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if you are somebody, like, for example, like a lot of dudes in, like, constructions, right, they don't have health benefits and they, I don't even know how it works, to be honest with you. Like, you break an arm, let's say, at work doing roofing or something like that i don't know what that like do you get a bill like do they send you like 50k bill and you have to pay it you, uh, i don't you, know what that looks like you go to a harbor view and you lie on your income and you get it written up okay. if you're lucky yeah. but no if you get a bill to pay then you get screwed or you buy health insurance and that gets pretty expensive yeah but yeah and and if like you're like oh you know what was it like 80 grand with masters and 67 with bachelors if you're like hey you know that's not that's not enough for me um, a lot of times there are, you know, districts that just generally paid more. So I know like Tacoma is one of the ones that pay the most. So you can start out there your first year at like, uh, let's see where they're at. So bachelors with theirs also, there's a 71 or like 88 as your first year, which I think as like a, well, you graduate college at like 22 years old. So you know, it's not bad, but you know, it also depends. So, so you're not taking like a crazy pay cut just to work in school because before we, I guess when I assume that if, you're, if you work as a teacher, uh-huh. it's more you're just here being a good public servant and sacrificing your pay. It's almost like uh, being a half missionary in a public school, and you're just like, well, I'm compromising, I'm sacrificing all my yeah. pay to do yeah. a good thing for a community, but you can still do a good thing for the community while having a a good job and building your career there. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, like for me, like I make over six figures and I have summers off. Um, you know, I, I'm also in a blessed situation where, you know, my, my wife um, makes a lot more monies. But at, at the same time, I think if I was, you know, like a 24 year old kid making a hundred grand and having summers off, you know, I think I'd be living the dream personally. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, I think the other thing is, you know, if you do decide to take that route and you want to have, I think being a teacher also gives you the ability to do a lot of like hustle side jobs. So for example, like if you have, you know, like buy a little cabin or something like that, I think as a professional working, you know, like a nine to five job every single day, every week for the whole year, you might not have the ability if you do buy like a cabin that you want to use maybe as like a rental of VRBO. I think being a teacher gives you those opportunities to spend some time with those side hustles. Like I personally don't have one yet. Um, my kids are young, but I think, you know, I do want to get into like doing something of that nature, just have something that I could get away with with my kids. So um, money is not like great, but you have, it does give you a lot of freedom. That's dope. Mr. No Name. Thank you for coming on, talking, letting us have a small peek behind the scenes into public school, public education, and how that goes. Um, my kid is only two and a half years old right now, but before I know, another year, two years, I have to make that decision as, as well. So that t- this topic has been coming up more and more lately because my age group, that's something that we have to make that decision. Public, private school, so these uh, discussions come up more and more often. So it's nice talking with you, getting a little scoop from somebody that's not just getting things from headlines, but actually inside the school for a whole decade and sees a lot more on a day-to-day basis rather than just little shorts, reels on Instagram and headlines. Thank you for coming on. Yeah, had a good time. That way. Thank you.